TCU takes on the Texas Longhorns for the last time, maybe for a while, on Saturday. Melissa Trewasser sits down with Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic Pod to preview that game. Plus, hoops and baseball sign top classes. We've got an advanced stats preview. Three games that I'm watching this week. And as always, the midweek mailbag. Let's jump in. Hit that intro music. Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here. Melissa Trebowasser will be along shortly. We are getting ready for TCU Texas game week. The Frogs and the Longhorns play on Saturday evening, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. Nationally broadcast game for the 4-5 and five Horn Frogs against the top-ranked Longhorns who are looking to make it back to the Big 12 championship for the first time in six years and looking to maybe win the conference for the first time since 2009 in their last season in the conference. Can the Frogs play spoilers? That's the question. Because TCU season, as we know, has not gone the way they've hoped, but there is still a little hope that they can play spoiler for the Longhorns or, as the Longhorns know, maybe we can cockroach things up a little bit. So we're going to get into that. Melissa sitting down with Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic pod to talk about the game. We're going to do a little bit of an advanced stats preview as well, using some of those beautiful, beautiful numbers that Parker Fleming provides every single week. We're going to talk about other football games that are happening on Saturday. We're going to get into your mailbag questions as well. Very excited for all of that today. But I wanted to start the show with something else not football-related, because Wednesday of this week, November 8th, marked the opening day of a signing period for pretty much all non-football sports, including basketball, baseball, golf, volleyball, uh, soccer. Pretty much every other sport that isn't football had a signing period that kicked off on Wednesday. And it was a big day for a lot of TCU programs Um, But I think two of the teams that had the biggest days this signing period were men's basketball and baseball. Men's basketball, as we know, has been um, gaining a lot of momentum, going in the right direction, or Jamie Dixon as he enters year eight. Uh, And I think it can't be understated, or it can't be overstated, how good of a job Jamie Dixon has done redirecting the trajectory of the program. I know that in the first seven years, there have been some frustrations with not making the tournament every year with, you know, maybe not, you know, finishing out uh, some conference games like they wanted to. They've been plagued by, by injuries at the guard position for a couple of years. The things maybe haven't always from a fan's perspective, been put together. But I wanted to take a second before I jump into this recruiting class to remind everyone of how far the basketball program has come. Right, This is a, this is a basketball team that less than 10 years ago went 0-18 in the Big 12. They didn't win a single conference game. They, they, there was a time where they beat Kansas for the first time ever in program history, right? And that was one of two conference wins that season. There was a time where they were losing to, like, what is it, Longwood? Pause. 
in non-conference play, right? And so there, there was a time not so long ago where TCU basketball was an afterthought, where it was a, a place where you couldn't recruit, where fans didn't show up, where you weren't winning games. And that has completely, that has completely changed under Jamie Dixon. Jamie Dixon is the reason for that. He would never say that, obviously, because he's a humble guy. But the staff that he has assembled, the players that he has recruited, and the attitude that he has approached TCU basketball with is the reason that right now, as we sit here, TCU has just signed the number 11 class for the 2024 recruiting cycle. Four, four total recruits, three four-star players, including three of TCU's top 10 highest-rated recruits of all time. That is where Jamie Dixon has this program right now. They've made two tournaments in a row. They've made it to the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament two years in a row. They finished in the top quarter of the Big 12 two years in a row. And now they have the number 11 recruiting class signed on the dotted line for the 2024 cycle. That includes top 100 prospects, Micah Robinson and um, David Punch, right? Robinson, number five player in the, from the state of Virginia. Punch, the number five player from the state of Texas. Malik Diallo, one of the top centers in the country from Utah, originally from Mali. Ashton, Sims, uh, Ashton Simmons, a top 10 player from the state of Texas. Incredible combo guard, great athlete. These are the four guys that TCU has signed for the 2024 class. And Robinson, Punch, and Diallo are all ranked in the top 10 in all highest-rated recruits of all time to sign with TCU. One of the others is Jace Posey, who's a freshman at TCU this year. So that's a, that's a signal, right, of where recruiting is heading right now for TCU basketball. And I, 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 I cannot overstate that this is, this is because of, of the work that Jamie Dixon has done and this is because of the, the assistants that he's hired, Tony Benford, uh, Dwayne Broussard, Jamie McNeely, Corey Santee, Mike Rice. Like, you know, the, from top to bottom, you know, Gary Christopher, strength and conditioning, right? All of these guys, he has done an excellent job of bringing in incredible talent at the coaching position, at the assistant positions. And uh, he's, he's, you know, unleashed them essentially to go and improve TCU basketball how they see fit. This is the highest rated recruiting class that TCU has signed since Jamie Dixon has been on campus. I haven't gone back all the way to look, but I'm fairly certain this is the highest rated recruiting class TCU basketball has ever signed. Like I said, three of the top 10 recruits in signing history in this class. Um, and it's, uh, it's really nice to be able to talk about TCU basketball in this way. So, they all signed yesterday at the beginning of this signing period, which lasts for a week. So they're locked in. Um, and because they're locked in already, TCU now has turned its attention to 2025. They've already hosted a couple of, of guys over the past few weeks from the 2025 class. They've got some leads there. Um, but they've got, you know, you want to talk about momentum. They're trying to parlay the number 11 overall class into one of the top-rated kids in the 2025 class. Trey McKinney is the number one player from the state of Michigan number three rated small forward, and the number 12 overall player, uh, according to the 24-7 sports composite rankings. He is a five-star recruit for the 2025 class. He's got over 30 offers, and he will be on campus at TCU this weekend to visit the Horned Frogs. 
gets in on Friday afternoon. He'll be there to observe practice on Saturday. He's going to the TCU-Texas game. He will be in town this weekend for an official visit. That is where TCU basketball is right now from a recruiting standpoint. This is how good they've been doing on the recruiting trail, is that they can get a five-star kid to come to campus and check them out. They've been on McKinney for a long time, since he was a freshman in high school. Corey Santee has been recruiting him really well. Interesting note, McKinney is from Flint, Michigan. It just happens to be Corey Santee's hometown as well. Uh, they've got a pretty good connection, and Jamie Dixon is is uh, very, very, very high on Trey McKinney as well. So this is... Um, this is a real cool opportunity, I think, for TCU to continue the momentum from this 24 class forward, uh, Trey McKinney coming in this weekend. So uh, keep an eye out for more information on him over at hornfrogblitz.com. I've got uh, one article written already by the time you listen to this, and then I'm going to sit down with, with McKinney once his visit is over to, to hear more about it, and, and you'll get that content. The article that I wrote about him right now, free for everyone, doesn't matter if you're subscribed. The interview with him will be paywalled, so make sure you're signed up over at hornfrogblitz.com so you can see what he has to say about the coaching staff, about the campus, about everything that he experienced on his official visit. It's one of the perks of hornfrogblitz.com is you get that information from myself, you get that information from Jeremy Clark uh, that you don't get anywhere else when it comes to recruiting. Big perk of, of being a member over there. Plus, you get to hang out on the board all the time with all of our crazy friends that love to ask me questions that make me rub my temples as we get into the mailbag here in just a little bit. Uh, before we move on any further, though, I do want to shout out our two incredible sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel. Um, very, very thankful for their sponsorship of the program. Very good friends of the program. Um, wouldn't be partners with them if they weren't good people. Wouldn't be partners with them if they weren't good companies. Uh, so I cannot speak highly enough of both of them. With Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods, uh, you know the drill at this point if you've been listening to the show for a while. Head over to hellshalfacresg.com. Get yourself ready for game day with the awesome football polo. They've got a great baseball polo, uh, hats, other shirts. They've got koozies, everything you need for game day at TCU. You can get over at hellshalfacresg.com. Make sure that you let them know that Frogs Insider sent you, that Melissa and I are the ones that sent you over there. Um, And yeah, check them out. Also, Hell's Half Lager. Their partnership with Fort Brewery, uh, a TCU NIL alcoholic beverage. Obviously, please be 21 and up, and please drink responsibly when you go and get that beverage. Uh, shout out to Homefield Apparel as well. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, you can see that I am currently wearing a Hell's, uh, sorry, a, a Homefield Apparel T-shirt. One of the most comfortable shirts that I own, the Till Hell Freezes Over shirt. Uh, an incredible design from the folks over at Homefield Apparel. If you want a TCU hoodie or a t-shirt or the TCU joggers or the incredible TCU bomber jacket that came out recently, all you've got to do is go over to homefieldapparel.com, use the code FROGSIN15, that's FROGSIN15, and you'll get 15% off your first purchase and 10% off all subsequent purchases. That is a code that is good forever. So as many times as you need to use it, use it. FROGSIN15 over at uh, homefieldapparel.com will get you a discount on all of their incredible stuff. It's feeling a little chilly in my office. I might have to go grab one of my incredible home field hoodies here in a bit uh, to warm up a little bit. Um, All right, moving on. Before we get into advanced stats preview stuff, I just want to talk a little bit about TCU baseball 
because Kirk Sarlos, you, you want to talk about recruiting momentum. You want to talk about momentum as a program. Baseball's got it in, in, in spades at this point. Just so, so, so much momentum. Um, coming off of an incredible transfer portal class, coming off of a College World Series appearance, uh, Kirk Sarlos entering year three. He and TJ Bruce and Dave Lawn and John Delora have now put together one of the top recruiting classes for the 2024 cycle for baseball. Number five overall recruit, according to Perfect Game, uh, Noah Franco is one of the guys that signed yesterday. He's a two-way player, left-handed pitcher, left-handed bat that plays in the outfield and first base. Uh, another kid, Cade Dernan, who signed recently, um, is signed on the dotted line. Uh, right-handed pitcher that tops out at 95 with his fastball. Both those guys are a little bit of draft risk. We'll get into more of that down the road as we start to get closer to the season, closer to the MLB draft and that kind of stuff. But TCU, according to Baseball America has the number four recruiting class in the country. According to Perfect Game, it's the number 11 class, but the last time I checked over there, they didn't have Dernan listed yet, so that should go up into a top 10. So you're talking about a baseball program that right now essentially has a consensus top 10 recruiting class for the 2024 cycle. You're talking about a men's hoops program that has the number 11 class for the 2024 recruiting cycle. Things are rolling for TCU athletics right now, especially on the recruiting trail. Uh, we're going to have a ton more info about both of those classes over at uh, hornfrogblitz.com as we continue to learn more. But now, it's time to talk a little Hornfrog football. It's time. Oh, let's do this. Okay. TCU takes on the University of Texas Longhorns this weekend. Like I said, Melissa and Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic pod are going to sit down and break down this game in great detail for you in just a few. But first, I wanted to jump into some advanced stats provided by our good friend Parker Fleming. You can follow him at Stats of War on Twitter. You can check out his work over at cfb-graphs.com. Um, really incredible advanced stats work. You've heard me talk about them on this show quite a bit. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about how TCU and Texas are similar when you look at some of these stats. We've talked a lot about the Frogs and their ability to create scoring opportunities versus their ability to convert those opportunities into points. As we know, TCU is a top 20 team in the country in creating opportunities. Their echo rate is 52.8%. That's good for 17th. That means that 52.8% of the time, they are moving the ball inside the opponent's 40 with at least one first down on the drive. It's considered a quality drive. Considered they're creating an opportunity to score points, right? The closer you get to the goal line, the better your chances are to score points. Unfortunately, TCU's 98th in the country and converting those opportunities into points. They're averaging just 3.1. One nine points per quality drive. Not great, right? That's a, it's just really not great. Turns out Texas is pretty similar in that regard. Texas on offense is 16th in echo rate, just one ahead of TCU. They're at 52.9% um, creating opportunity drives versus the 52.8% for TCU. But they are 104th in the country in converting those drives into points, averaging just 3.13 points per, per um, quality drive. And so these are two offenses that are incredibly good between the 20s, and the closer they get to the goal line, the more they struggle. And if you look at TCU's defense, 
What do they do really, really well? Well, they do a, a, a great job of keeping you out of the end zone. TCU's 34th in the country defensively in points allowed per quality drive at just 3.03. Okay, So they do an incredible job of keeping teams out of the end zone and forcing field goals when teams get scoring opportunities. Similarly, Texas on defense is seventh in the country in points allowed per echo drive, points allowed per quality drive at 2.3. So what we have in this game are two offenses that struggle the closer they get to the goal line and two defenses that get better the closer they get to the goal line. Uh, And so I'm very curious to see how that plays out on paper. Texas has, uh, you know, statistically one of the best defenses in the country. They're number seven in EPA per pass in the country, number three in EPA per rush. Uh, They don't allow a lot of quality drives to begin with, which is where I think they stand out from TCU a little bit. Uh, Texas, 23rd in the country in echo rate allowed, quality drives allowed at just 33% of the time. TCU's 64th defensively in echo rate, um, allowing quality drives 39.8% of the time. So that might be where Texas really has the advantage is can TCU even continue to create some of those scoring opportunities that they've been so good at uh, creating through the first nine games of the year. Um, This is a game where TCU absolutely has to capitalize on any opportunity that they get because the reality is is that they probably won't get as many as they're used to getting and Texas uh, will absolutely do their best to take advantage of anything that they have on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Texas is uh, a good passing team. They're a a good rushing team. And their fronts on both sides of the football are a point of concern, I think, for TCU. Melissa and Kyle are going to get into that a little bit more. But that's kind of the advanced stats preview right there. I want you to think about those things as you're watching this game on Saturday night. TCU's offense and Texas's offense, both very good at creating yardage opportunities, uh, scoring opportunities, getting close to the, the goal line. Uh, but then they start to sputter out. Both defenses, not as great between the 20s, but they do really tighten up once they get close to the red zone, close to the goal line. So pay attention to that. See how see how good and efficient these teams can be in the red zone when they start to create scoring opportunities because that's when things really start to lock up for both of these teams offensively, and it's where, where their defenses thrive. Look no further than Texas's game against Kansas State last week, right? Kansas State had multiple opportunities to score touchdowns late in that game or kick field goals or, or do anything to win that football game. And every single time, Texas's defense stepped up and, and got, the, got the job done, especially in that overtime. So um, really interested to see how this one plays out. Uh, obviously, the Frogs are a pretty big underdog at home, uh, as they should be, based on how things have gone this season. Um, but if they can find a way to finally be at least a little bit efficient on offense, they might have a chance to do what they've done a lot, frankly, since TCU and Texas have been in the Big 12 together, which is beat the Longhorns. They're 8-3 and three against Texas. Hopefully, at the end of this, this weekend, they'll be 9-3 and three against Texas as they send the Longhorns packing to the SEC. And that win, too, would, keep a, would go a long way to keeping both Texas and Oklahoma out of the Big 12 title game. So TCU hopefully can do their part to make sure we are free of future SEC programs in the Big 12 title game uh, this upcoming December. But now let's jump in to what Melissa Trewasser has to do, has to say with Kyle Carpenter of the Longhorn Republic podcast as they break down 
this game right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Frogs Insider podcast. I am Melissa Trebosser. And this week, we're going to do things just a little bit differently because this is not only the Frogs Insider podcast, we are going to kind of double dip here, which is yeah. really exciting because that means I get to talk to my good friend, Kyle Carpenter. Um, Gerald did not want the smoke. <laughs> uh, he's going to say he's out of the country, but I think we all know the the rub of this year and it's that he's scared. And yeah. that tends to be how things go. And I get it because I too would be terrified <laughs> if I was facing a really, let's call it not great TCU team. And I was the <laughs> Texas Longhorns knowing this is the very, very last time that I was That's going right. to play TCU in Fort Worth, right. probably ever. <laughs> I would run off to another country as well. Um, Kyle is uh, one of the hosts, the, the host that's not afraid to show up to this podcast um, of the Longhorn podcast. Um, Kyle, if you want to introduce your podcast where people can find you while we're here, we're just going to knock out both intros. We're, you're going to hear this on both feeds. So double double the fun for everybody. That, that's right. As we say in the corporate world, this is a, it's synergy, right? We are, we are uh, utilizing assets. Uh, we pivoted in yeah. need and we have synergy. We didn't want to this silo ourselves. Um, we are killing yeah. it. Yeah. We're not going to boil the ocean today. We may Take a 10,000 foot view, but we may also get down to the weeds. So we'll see. Um, I have to stop. I have to stop. This is making me my own skin crawl. Um, <laughs> this, as you're listening to it, listeners, is the Longhorn Republic coming to you live. Gerald, as Melissa uh, hinted, has fled. He's ducking Melissa in India. He was he he went to a different continent to to make sure that he didn't have to uh, handle the smoke that should be coming. This uh, this is coming to your feeds but again um i'm not going to say it because he will listen to this podcast but i'm not going to say upgrade that's you said that not me not not melissa the listener you said that to yourself um uh, but no if, if we've always said one of our favorite guests when both of us have the honor to talk to her um i think gerald honestly is seething with jealousy if nothing mm -hmm. else that he doesn't mm -hmm. get to be here because these are always fun we have a good yeah. time and and it's like i, I mean i don't want to say this is the last time we'll get to do this i'm sure we'll find another reason i'm sure tc baseball and texas baseball will match yeah. up and so we'll start yeah. to start previewing other sports but from a football it. perspective this is probably the last time these two teams are going to meet in the immediate future unless they were to meet in a bowl game um which is a crazy thing to say I know. especially when you look at kind of the history of the series and much like bedlam when you know oklahoma state has been dominated in that series but got the last win Texas has been dominated in this series over the last 10 years or so, sure. but is looking to be able to keep the last win on record. Um, both of those things are very strange sentences to utter. Um, so let's get right down to it. Uh, is Texas scared of TCU this weekend? The fans want to know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I don't think the history is lost, right? The you know the recent history has certainly favored TCU. I think um, the the Texas players are saying the right things this week. They're calling it a championship game, right? Each of their last three games, they're treating like the championship game. You have to win it to get to the next one. It's almost a, like a single elimination is basically how they're treating the rest of the season. And so I think they're they're incredibly um, serious about this. They know what TCU did last year. They know specifically what TCU came to Austin and did last year, right? Which was kind of flipped the script for your season, which was, you know, an incredibly um, strong defensive performance while your offense was fine, but, but, you know, not um, up to what you came to expect the rest of the year. So you saw, you know, every year this game can have um, some outlier performances from either side, whether better or worse to their, uh, their corresponding season. So I think given all of that, I don't think any Texas fan player staffer uh, worth their salt is overlooking this one, right? There, there are, you know, three games left on the schedule where, 
we have very kind of divergent paths to the end of the season. TCU very much has must-win games remaining on the schedule for bowl eligibility. Texas is viewing them that same way for, you know, making the Big 12 uh, championship game. So they, they you know, both teams, I think, are, are looking at their last uh, remaining schedule is have to win everything that's left. So it's going to be, a you know, I think a fireworks uh, a game, at least from the preparedness, the mentality from both teams. Yeah, it's it's been interesting if you look back kind of at the game by game list. Um, you know, Texas has law, uh, beaten TCU just three times since uh, the Horn Frogs joined the Big Twelve. Um, a lot of those seem to be surprising, but it's also during a period of time where Texas uh, really struggled. The last three games have come down to um, one score affairs. TCU's won two of the three, and you mentioned um, the the kind of instant classic that happened in Austin in front of college game day and a, a sold out stadium um, uh, down there at DKR. So, uh, but this is a much, much different feel around this game. Uh, TC coming off of a national championship appearance, becoming the first team in Texas to make the college football playoff. Um, the first team in the big 12 to win a college football playoff game. Um, and then obviously just disappointment um, in year two of the Sunny Dykes era. There was so much at stake. When for both teams, when TC traveled to Austin, it's almost exactly a year ago. Uh, and now you're looking at kind of the reverse where, like you said, Texas kind of has everything in front of it. Um, you know, an opportunity to make the Big 12 championship for the first time since 2009, I believe. Um, yeah. and, and to win the Big 12 championship in their last year in the league after, you know, a decade plus of the is Texas back question i'm um, heading into the sec winning a conference championship would be a good momentum boost for the program and kind of a solidifier for steve sarkeesian while tcu is literally fighting for bowl eligibility coming off and uh, trying not to set make history you know being the worst team a, a record wise the season after playing for national championship and so um obviously there's going to be a a a lot of fans there a lot of interest around this game among both fan bases but kind of trending different directions yeah, the um the the national championship fatigue for Texas teams is real. Uh Texas was in the national championship, you know, against Alabama, Colt McCoy injury game a uh, decade plus ago. Um, in the you know, the next year, Garrett Gilbert was that hot freshman in that game. Everything was gonna be great. Um, and I believe there was a uh a, a meme of of uh me. I, I got four hundred texts as uh I we were losing to Iowa state before that was a thing that people did uh, that next season. So there was a, there was a precipitous decline, uh, you know, for the Texas teams. It's there's something of a hangover, right? We gotta, we gotta fix that. Uh, if Texas gets back there next, we'll, uh, we'll try to fix that, but no, it's, it's uh, there's some similarities in both of those next seasons. It's tough, right? I don't, I, a ton of TCU talent left. And so I think all of us expected there would be a little bit of a, a little bit of a drop, but it, you know, this is, this has been a huge step change from sure for, for your fan base, but certainly from Texas fans where we just, even though there were new names, you've come accustomed to thinking, well, TCU just next man up mentality. Um, so, I mean, what, how do you want to start breaking this down? We can do offense, defense on either side of the ball. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup, I think, uh, just because it looks like if we start with the offenses, either one you start with, uh, the quarterback who, who started the season is not going to likely be taking the snaps. Yeah, let's let's start right there. Let's talk about this Texas offense. And obviously, Quinn Ewers, um, you know, really got put through it a season ago. Um, was not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, Texas fans and national media looking at all of the hype and and like he invited some of that himself, obviously, like graduating early, taking the million dollar deal, going to Ohio State, transferring back to Texas. 
Um, and so being in the spotlight was not something that he avoided by by any means, but very it treated unfairly. I think all the weight of the world was on his shoulders um, in year one in Austin of him uh, taking snaps. And then year two comes around and all he has to deal with is possibly the most hyped recruit in the country <laughs> and um, the most famous last name in football nipping at his heels. Now, from the beginning, the Manning family, Arch Manning, Steve Sarkeesian, the entire Texas program said, no, this kid's going to redshirt. Right. Um, and and that seemed to take a weight off of Quinn's shoulders. And he he was excellent. Um, you know, he played really, really well in the Red River rivalry, obviously going into Tuscaloosa um, and leading a win. It looked like Texas was really taking off. Um, and then for the second season in a row, he suffers an injury, um, this one to his AC joint on his non-throwing shoulder and right. is being called day to day right now. In his stead, Malik Murphy has come in, not Arch Manning. And I, I think the fan base would love to see Arch, um, but Malik Murphy has been the same thing. He has been uh, doing a lot of things well, especially in the first half of the games. But the Texas offenses seem to stall after halftime. A, who's going to play this weekend? Yeah. And B, what what needs to get fixed for the Texas offense to not allow a team like TCU that when it's clicking can score in bunches obviously hasn't been doing a whole lot of that lately. Yeah. I, I think um, when you look at the Texas offense, I think you start, you know, this year with the running game right now, where they're at, right. When Bijan Robinson left, it was like, well, we'll see if Texas is going to be such a passing team with you, which they really yeah. have run the ball. So Jonathan Brooks is so <laughs> terrifying to me. Uh, I love that guy. Yeah. Mr. So Texas terrifying. football, JB two K is now JB one K thousand yards on the season. Um, a player we've been rooting for who feels like a TCU player, right? A guy who's great in high school, but you know, is not the most touted recruit for one reason or the other. And then just is a, is a dog and just, you know, kills you when you have to play against him and it's uh, I like having those players um and so he's just been incredible he's Gerald's favorite player since he was in high school he's been telling everyone who'd listen so I'm glad I get to be the one to talk to you about him but it you know the offense is going to run through Brooks and, and to some extent Cedric Baxter the the number one running back recruit is a true freshman and uh has been taking his fair share of snaps as well um but it is it is you know a, a team that's going to establish the run but Sark has, has made it pretty clear uh, in Malik Murphy's two starts. And I think it will be Malik Murphy. Quinn Ewers uh, posted a cryptic Instagram story today, you know, with a Waylon Jennings songs about ready to roll. And it's like, uh, the fan base is getting antsy. Does that mean? Uh, um, I think it is day to day. I think from what Sark said, basically, you know, what everyone is is saying is that he's probably, probably close. Like he's, he, he's throwing this week. So we had a lot of injuries. Sark said everyone's practicing, made no caveats, um, Ewers included. Um, but if he's not, it's a, it went from a week-to-week -week situation to a day-to-day -day situation. It's a pain management situation with the AC joint at this point. Does he feel comfortable? I think he will be dressed regardless on Saturday. Will he start? I don't know. We're recording this on uh, on Tuesday night, so a lot could happen between now and then um, if he's feeling really well. He could be under there, but I think what likely happens is, is Murphy takes the start. Unless things just go incredibly sideways or, you know, I made the terrible dad joke break in case of Emurfingy, Emurfingy. Oh, oh god! I, see, I can't even say it. It works better in writing. It works better in writing. I don't know. It's it's a bad joke. And um, but no, I I think Malik Murphy starts. Quinn is on the sideline. But what Sarkis has shown is that he will come with his opening script, especially and let Malik throw it and really challenge um the defense to take away what. Malik does best, which is the, the vertical passing game, the deep ball. Um, and what you saw with TCU is that start was great. And then TCU adjusted, took out, you know, his favorite target, which instead of Xavier Worthy has been A.D. Mitchell um, and kind of put a, a safety over the top on him to take away a little bit of that vertical passing game. And then the accuracy just wasn't there, right? I think yeah. if 
if Ewers was healthy against Kansas State last week, I think Sark called a 45-point game, right? They they probably win relatively comfortable, uh, comfortably with with a quarterback who's just making accurate intermediate passes. That that was really um, something we didn't expect from Malik because even uh, against BYU, he was he was better. It was a little bit of a regression week two in that intermediate accuracy but did you see it. what tcu did against byu i don't know that byu is the measuring stick we could I, be using <laughs> i agree i agree and and that's fair right they, they, there's a bit of a false flag there for your first start you get some passes and everything now it's your second start there's a bit more scrutiny as well right uh but yeah i, I mean i think the just like it feels like a lot of times he's throwing balls to where in his mind and he studied the playbook and a player should be here and that's not what he sees, but he doesn't adjust or, you know, has a crossing route. And, you know, when you're going uh, across the middle or, or, you know, going across a zone, sometimes you adjust your route to get to that open spot. And Texas has really good pass catchers who do really well at getting themselves open. And they did against Kansas State. And he just didn't seem to adjust the same way the receiver did. So I'm sure they're working on that this week. But accuracy issues are absolutely a problem with Murphy. They, you know, you can't get around that. He could have come out and erased that on Saturday. Um, a lot of folks would love to see that because we think that, you know, it isn't just Arch Manning, right? Malik Murphy was a guy Sark was after when he was at Bama um, and a recruit that that he has really liked what he can do with his arm strength. Um, you know, he throws a better deep ball than Quinn Ewers. It's, it's plain and simple what we've seen so far. So um, if he can fill out the rest of his game, we think there's a future. It's not just Arch's team. There's a battle there with two great quarterbacks. So um, there's absolutely no way both of those quarterbacks are on the roster. September if, 1st, a year from now though, right? There's absolutely no way. Certainly not if Ewers comes back. I don't think all three of them are. I think there's a world where the two decide to battle it out. I think Texas fans ideal version is, Ewers plays, the injury doesn't help things, would have left in theory this year. One of those two wins out. And if it's Murphy, then Arch waits one more year. Again, is that going to happen? We'll see. Now, if if Arch wins, I think Malik is is gone, right? Um, he had offers this offseason from, um, I'll just say high-level teams. I won't say any names, but SEC uh, teams for him to come. Like, offered him whatever you call that, tampering or not, uh, uh, money to come be their quarterback. And he Listen. turned it down. If you believe Horny McHorn Toad at Horny McHorn Toad on X, um, he, these, this has been his audition to be TCU's quarterback in uh, 2024. Sure. So, sure. and and I, I mean, I definitely think for a kid like that, he he is not just playing for his future at Texas, but but playing for his future in college football and the, sure. the world that we live in. Um, I do. You you did kind of touch on Mitchell and um, Xavier Worthy, Worthy a little bit. You know, obviously there's so much talent there. Xavier Worthy, it seems like once a game does something just stupid and insane yeah. and ridiculous. Um, but but maybe hasn't been quite the impact player we thought. The guy that I've been shocked by how quiet he's been is Jatavian Sanders. Um, yeah. This was the preseason All Big 12 tight end. Um, he's at just 22 catches and one touchdown. Um, is is this just a scheme issue? Is this just the switching quarterbacks issue? Or are teams really keying in on taking Sanders away? And that's the problem. Injury as well, right? He's missed at least one full game. And he can't, we weren't sure he was going to play in the Red River. And, and I don't know that he should have, right? I'm not saying he's, they win the game if he's, he's not there. He's played all nine according to the stats, but. Uh, okay, maybe one of them he... he uh suited up and played a couple snaps he at least missed the like 90 percent of one of the games and he's had a couple games where he's been his snap count is quite a bit lower than okay. than it has been in, in previous years when he's been healthy um he he missed he did go out in the first quarter of a game and gunner helm finished out the game so there's at least two games there where he didn't play the majority and i'll just say that he came back against ou after you know everyone wanted him there because what he can do we saw it last year we sure. saw it against alabama against alabama he was the most dangerous player 
Uh, you could make A.D. Mitchell could make a case in that game as well. But um, certainly what he did after the catch was was really impressive. And, and you know, linebackers and safeties, uh, Alabama defense caliber, SEC caliber, couldn't couldn't contain him um, since he's been back. His, his blocking, you can tell, has been a little bit uh, less than um, it, it just feels like a lot of times. I mean, technically, the Ewers injury was on a play against Houston when uh, Jatavian Sanders was matched up against their best edge rusher. Uh, and he got a sack that probably was the one that hurt Quinn's uh, shoulder right before that last series where he tried to play on and, and, and just couldn't. Um, but I mean, we, we've seen that a little. He looked better against Kansas State where he actually was going out and finishing blocks. He's looking like he's got the aggressiveness back. Back. Um, against OU, right? They're, 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 uh, they had an interception on the goal line where Billy Bowman just lights him up, but it was uncharacteristic for Sanders, who has the best, strongest hands on the team, who kind of went up but didn't extend for it, just kind of waited for it to come. If he extends, he probably catches it, has a touchdown there. Again, touchdown turned to interception you know, uh, game winning drive could have been the difference in the game. I'm not trying to single him out. I don't know that it's, it's necessarily scheme. I don't know that, um, you know, he's overshadowed I think he's still incredibly important and even though he has less catches we thought he might everyone thought he'd have more touchdowns but I think that's a little bit right now symptomatic of the red zone issues that Texas is having more generally right they're um not great right like 104th uh in the nation in in uh points per echo which is you know uh, effectiveness inside the other team's 40 um Texas hasn't been great on the other team's side of the ball, but especially inside the 20. Um, they've been going forward on fourth. Sark's aggressive, but it hasn't been converting to points. They have been very poor um, in that, you know, like sub 100 all season in that category. Is, and so, right. Is this going to be a battle of impotent red zone offenses? It's like that's the how first I drew team it up. Score in the 20s is going to yes. be the one that wins. We we jokingly, uh, I think Gerald tweeted it, uh, retweeting friend of of both shows, uh, Parker Fleming sets wars, uh, note about uh, in inside the twenty effectiveness, and it's basically who who takes a knee at the twenty one and scores out of these two yeah. teams, uh, you know, because it's like once you get inside there, oh no, you might as well be done. But I think Sanders and a lot of people think that could be one of the keys to fixing this if he is healthy, uh, his ability to go up for balls, his strong hands should unlock a lot of things in the red zone for us on, on the Kansas state game, Texas had a fourth down uh wildcat play where they, they fumbled it at the mesh point, but it was looking to be kind of a, uh, a trickish uh, wildcat play where the pass was going to go to Sanders and he likely had a touchdown uh, if they don't fumble that. So there's a lot of meat. I just mentioned two red zone, almost touchdowns. Like there should be a little bit more. I think it could fix two things, his draft stock and uh, Texas's red zone woes. If he becomes a part of the offense, because they're going to look at Mitchell. They're going to look at it worthy um, for sure. Uh, Worthy's been getting a lot of double teams. So what that should open up is Sanders to be that guy. And I think if Texas offense, you know, is at their full potential, it's with him at his. Here's the the great thing. If you're a Texas fan, you don't need to score in the red zone because TC is going to give up like just three 30 yard plus touchdowns on Saturday. I mean, that that's kind of been their MO. If you saw what Texas Tech did to them, um, right. the the safety group, the secondary group has, has gotten burned. Um, and then the line, I mean, there was almost 30 missed tackles on Thursday night against Texas Tech. So you can only imagine what, what Texas is going to do. Um, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this other than to say, good God, that offensive line can be yes. very unfair. Um, like you've definitely mentioned, there have been some issues, some protection issues, but most of it's not coming from that front five. Uh, they're very, very good. Uh, TC's pass rush is very, very not. So I, I think that there's, there's the, the biggest advantage in this game to me 
comes from what the Texas offense should be able to do against the TCU defense, even though I do think the Texas defense has a significant advantage over the TCU offense as well. Uh, Does not really line up well for TCU on either side of the ball if, if we're looking at this objectively? Yeah, I'll just say that when I was looking at kind of the TCU defense, it's it, Murphy was kept in, incredibly clean against Kansas State. And I was a little bit surprised, but when I looked at their defensive line, they're a little bit undersized. And I say that with Texas having one of the biggest defensive lines in the country, it's unfair mm-hmm. to compare that. But they're a little bit undersized from what Texas has, has faced through the year. They're you know not a bad unit by any stretch, but Texas could bully them a little bit and in pass rush looked better than um, they had in, in a couple games, right? Uh, Houston had some success. Uh, BYU had a little, but not much, but again, it was Murphy's first start. Um, so it was good to see that, that good protection from a Texas fan perspective. Um, keep Murphy. Cause his, he, he does have a tendency to break down fundamentals as young quarterbacks do when he gets, he gets uh, pressured. So if TCU was to ratchet that up, whether that's through blitzes or, or some kind of um, exotic uh, stunts or something like that, that would be, you know, a way to generate pressure would be your best bet. But I, I didn't see it looking at kind of what I was, I was um, checking out from TCU, but it, we will see uh, Texas playing our freshman right tackle last week from the eighth year senior. And I only slightly exaggerate. I think legitimately he's a seventh year senior Christian Jones being out. So there, there is a little bit, the center was, you know, was out uh, for OU uh, thought he was going to miss four weeks, came back early. So he's probably playing at like 50%. It's a little bit of a banged up offensive line. Uh, Kelvin Banks, their best player at left tackle, uh, making a tackle on one of the interceptions, hurt his shoulder and went out in the game against Kansas state. So they're a banged up unit. So if TCU has kind of the bodies and can generate something or, or can find something there with their, I know good linebackers versus defensive line gets some blitzing. Um, you know, is it is it Obiezer? Like, I, that's to me where I think TCU's defense has to has to do something, or else Texas can lean a little bit. I think TC's defense has to do something has been the story of this season. Um, I, I think that's been one of the biggest complaints on the fan base um, and the complaints against what Joe Gillespie's unit has done is there hasn't been that creativity. There hasn't been that aggressiveness. I think it's, it's due to a lack of trust um, in the players on the field, but when you have a secondary that returns almost every starter from a season ago um, and a unit that was so aggressive last year and did force so many turnovers. Um, I think, I think it was uh, this point last season, like TC was, plus 16 and turnover and now they're minus 16 or something. Um, It's yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely an issue. Um, But there hasn't been the exotic blitzes. We haven't seen guys come from the second level to, to rush the passer and against a young quarterback who's still early in his career and inexperienced um, you would expect to see more of that, but there's no reason to believe that's what's going to happen on Saturday because like you said, it's not really there on tape. Um, and, And the linebacking unit has been, it was really bad. I think on, I think the last two weeks, it's fair to say the linebacking unit for TCU has been really, really yeah. bad with missed tackles um, and just looking a step slow and just completely unengaged in what's happening on the field. We knew Patterson TCU teams rope-a-dope Texas. They would play intentionally bad in the week before just to lull a false sure. sense of confidence. You know, We've been felt- doing it for two months <laughs> this year. That's, a That's what I'm saying. This is the long con. Mean. Yeah, this, this is cocooning is the, so that you can yeah. butterfly against us. This is going to well, be, you know, you and I know damn well, if TC is going to get up for one game this season, it's going to be this game. And <laughs> I kind of, I kind of get upset at the, this is, this is TCU Super Bowl because for, I mean, if we're being really honest and again, being objective, if you look up to this season, TCU has unquestionably been, been the most successful, more successful program for the last 10 years. You sure. cannot argue it. Um, They have 
played for multiple Big 12 championships. They shared a Big 12 title. They made the college football playoff. They've made BCS games. I mean, TCU, this has not been their Super Bowl. They have dominated the last 10 years of this, sure. this annual series. Everyone's saying the reason, you know, the tech, the tickets for this game are so expensive has nothing to do with TCU fans, especially this year. It's everything to do with Texas fans that live in that area and that were often you know, season ticket holders for TC prior to TC joining the big 12. And so, right. but that being said, there is always going to be that caveat of a lot of the guys on TC's roster and, and maybe not so much anymore, but for years and years, Patterson was able to sell these guys on how many of you have a Texas offer and very few hands would go up. Now that's not quite the case anymore, but mm. It's still the same thing as Texas is the flagship program in the state of Texas. Um, you can say that because AM has somehow been even less relevant. <laughs> um, but but at the end of the day, you know, TC, this game still does matter to both fan bases, uh, to TCU fans, because you want to beat the, the big money program in the state and to Texas fans, because you don't like losing to a program that you think is inferior to you, even though logically it really isn't anymore. Um, it is this year. Absolutely. (laughs) But I I think TCU would love to send Texas into a bit of a spiral. I mean, OU, Oklahoma State, you know, basically knocked OU out of contention for a Big 12 title appearance and and got the network stream matchup um, and the Big 12's nightmare matchup off the table. Um, And TCU beating Texas on Saturday will go a long way to making uh, Texas's path to Arlington a little bit longer and more winding. Um, But the Big 12 is also just a big hot mess this year. So God only knows. Um, We're going to end up with Oklahoma State in the championship game. And I don't understand it. Mike Gundy's a wizard. Um, Yeah. But to keep it on this matchup, um, you know, I think it's what's going to be interesting for TCU is we're in the similar situation as Texas at the quarterback position. Um, right. You know, you've you've got Chandler Morris is getting better every day. So it looks like Josh Hoover is going to be the starter, another redshirt freshman um, who had one game where he looked absolutely elite against BYU um, <laughs> and has come back to earth uh, significantly against teams that can feel a good defense. Um, and Texas's defense is defensive line. My quite possibly be the most terrifying unit I've seen in college football this year. Uh, there's like six dudes that have uh, PFF grades over 70 on the defensive line. And that seems really, really unfair. Yeah, it it, it is. And, and when we came into the season, we knew specifically the interior of this defensive line was going to be great. We weren't exactly sure what the edge play was going to look like. Um, we solved some of that by playing our smallest interior guy on the edge in, in a lot of situations. Alfred Collins, who is an incredibly, you know, lauded recruit, has, has been a little bit up and down. The talent is there. He just needs to put it all together. But, you know, you saw when they had to make one stop the last play of the game against Kansas State, he was in there um, in a, a front that Krakowski has rolled out this year with kind of three, uh, three down linemen and an edge that's quite spread out you know with a pure kind of uh, pass rush angle um well off the outside shoulder of the tackle so um it's an interesting look a little bit different than what they usually run out there but you know there's no doubt if you just look at the two the two biggest the, the two top um graded interior defensive linemen in the big 12 pro football focus two of their top four i believe uh as of this week cumulative grades of defensive tackles in the country both play for Texas, right? And Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy gets less uh, hype because Sweat is 360 pounds and shouldn't be able to move like he does a refrigerator on wheels, like I call him. Um, but Murphy has actually been slightly better in the grades, right? He has uh, 28 pressures to lead all Big 12 DLs, 21 and a, a half win rate, which leads all Power 5 interior defensive lines. All these next stats lead that 90.6 pass rush grade, 14.4 pressure rate, which all lead interior defensive linemen in the entire you know Power 5 uh, in the entire country. So 
really good in the middle. Really good. Like if if we were saying what each team should want to happen in this game, um, or sorry, what a TCU fan should want to happen is that uh, you pass the ball 50 times so you don't have to run at that front. Um, and you make Texas somehow pass the ball 50 times so they don't get to run the ball because then you put you know, an even matchup of two uh, redshirt freshmen, kind of uh, slightly inexperienced uh, backup quarterbacks. Right. And so um, it has just been, it should be by, by law if, or, you know, by logic, if a unit, if defensive unit is able to make a team one dimensional, that they should just be able to, you know, be very dominant because they know what's coming, right. The team is going to pass. You saw, you know, Kansas state had a 28 uh, game, hundred yard rushing streak snapped because they had 33 yards. It wasn't even close on 29 carries. You know, it's, and that's a really good rushing team, right? Uh, U of H just couldn't. I think they averaged less than a yard a rush against Texas. Like it is, no team really has cracked the code this year on, on trying to run into the teeth of that defensive line. They're very good all across the board. And that's why I think you said earlier, it, TCU's running backs, I think there's a lot of talent in that room. And I think y'all, you know, I think y'all could do something there if it wasn't this exact matchup. Well, it, it, so that kind of brings me to my my next point and that we can kind of talk about is though you, you talked about Houston and they couldn't move the ball on the ground and you talked about Kansas State and they couldn't move the ball on the ground and neither of those teams are exceptional passing teams, but both of those teams were able to pass Absolutely. their way back into those games. Absolutely. Is this Texas secondary concerning or is it just been kind of a when you're going to get the ball thrown at you 50 times across the last three corners, you're going to give up some scores and some touchdowns. Yeah. Some, I, I, some long balls. I, I think it is a little bit of that, right? When you look at the, the passing stats, it is like, ooh, they're giving up, you know, th- nearly 300 yards a game. It's a lot, but their total defense is great because, the, the, you know, they're not giving up rushing yards. Um, Oklahoma was was pretty good, but they held Dylan Gabriel to his by far lowest completion percentage, I think 10 points lower than any other game. And he hurt them more with his legs, yeah. uh, you know, for the three, three quarters. He got a couple, uh, you know, uh, intermediate shots there towards the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, Texas has been susceptible in the past to, to mobile quarterbacks. They handled Jalen Milrow um, quite well. They handled Bean relatively well for, for Kansas when they dominated that game. Um, it really is, I think, a lot of teams are going to pass. But, I, I mean, I don't hear me say Texas is not without a ton of flaws. They, their safeties have been attacked uh, a lot, and they're without Jalen Catalan, who you know most people thought when he came in he has such an injury history. It'd be great if he plays a whole season. It's a different injury. It's a leg injury instead of the shoulder it's been the past two or three years, um, which is terrible. And I hate that. Uh, but, you know, we kind of thought maybe we would be without him at some point this year and it's happened. And Jaron Thompson has been picked on by a couple of teams, giving up touchdowns in consecutive games. Uh, um, safety play has not been great. Our best safety has been a, you know, a, a reg, a, a walk on and uh, Michael Taff, who's, who's had an interception in the past three games, just shows up in the right spot probably doesn't have the athletic explosiveness of some of the other players. Um, they also, you know, Ryan Watts has been out there. their number one cornerback. He's uh, coming back, but you know, Kansas state said, okay, he's a big corner who likes big physical receivers and, and can body them. Um, they said, we're just going to put Brooks and our, our athletic kind of scat receivers on him. And they found a lot of success. I think it was like 93% of their passes went middle or right. Like they were, they were, some teams were right-handed, but I mean, they were right-handed. They were throwing, and Watts is on the right-hand side. I think some of that is Texas's best player on the defense, with those defensive linemen included, is Jade Barron, who I think is the best nickelback in the country. Um, he's a Thorpe semifinalist. He's he's having an incredible season, but teams are not going uh, near him. I think in the past three games, he, he's given up um, one catch for three yards, and he's been targeted like seven or eight times. Not much, but um, he just – you can't – I mean, 
and he's a great open field tackler. So teams kind of, at least what Kansas State did, was go away from that. And it worked, right? They found some success to that. Um, just taking one side of the field, which is, you know, our, our boundary corner is is not the speedster. And that's also where our, our safety, who's, who's a walk-on, um, is playing. So you probably can can exploit that athleticism a little bit on that side. Um, but, I, I, you know, what Dana did was run mesh. He ran three plays 40 times and just spammed the same play. And Texas didn't fix it. So there's something a little bit concerning there. Um, Sonny Dykes is a smart enough uh, offensive mind. I'm not going to speak about, you know, whether Kendall yeah. Bryles is or, or isn't. We don't have to talk about that um, to know, right? This is what works. Let's do what works. It has worked before. Let them prove that it doesn't work. So I think you're going to see some of those mesh concepts. Kansas State had a touchdown on one um, that have hurt Texas, right? But again, you're, you have 40 passes, you're going to give up yards. But if they run the, the the plays that work, Texas has gaping holes where, you know, it's just incredibly inefficient against certain passing concepts. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't, you know, I look across the board here and say, where does TC potentially have an advantage? And you talked about, you know, the run game. Imani Bailey's been really, really good, um, but he struggled the last couple of weeks. Um, just his, the, sometimes you can be overly fast. You can, you can outrun your coverage here a little bit. And I think he tends to do that. He hits his hole a little too early in this, um, the, the run blocking for TC's offensive line, um, much like the pass blocking just has not been up to the level of expectation. Um, you're not going to run at that, that, Texas front very well or at all, like you mentioned. Um, but the passing game, I mean, you know, Josh Hoover, when he's good, he's really, really good, but he has looked a lot like a freshman the last two weeks, um, you know, kind of came off of that success against BYU. Um, and he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a, a you know, a, a, an elite wide receiver uh, that TC isn't yet to find an alpha. Um, they feel pretty good about John Paul Richardson. He's nice. Jared Wiley has been good when they targeted yeah. him. Um, but, uh, there's, there's I, I a, worry about a Wiley like retaliation game, just three touchdowns to stick it to Texas. I see that I, happening. In I, I would love for them to target Wiley <laughs> 10 times on Saturday minimum. I, I mean, I sure. think that that's kind of the guy that we've all wanted to see get more touches and be the security blanket for Josh Hoover. When you have a six foot seven dude, that's that big and that good. Like, yeah, just get him the ball more. And especially when your wide receivers haven't really done it. Looks like three of the wide receivers are going to miss this week. Um, so that that's an issue as well. But again, like they play 20 different guys. So, um, you know, you, you get to this point in November and you haven't really identified your alpha. That's definitely concerning. We thought maybe sure. Savion Williams could step into that role. He's been very inconsistent. Um, you know, like I said, JPR has been good. Jojo Earl um, has had some moments and some flashes. Warren uh, Thompson has been a security blanket, but he's not playing this weekend uh it's it's a big question mark and i at the end of the day i just don't know that this offensive line can get it done against the defense the, t the texas defensive front to give josh Hoover the time to not make the mistakes that he's been prone to make under pressure and texas has gotten a lot of pressure from interior but their ends have found some success ethan burke had had two sacks and a, a, a strip sack um that, that led to a six-yard touchdown Texas found their only resident success after that. Um, you know, they, they are starting to come on with with Burke, who's a, a young player, um, second year player in the program, who's who's finding a little bit. Baron Sorrell, who was kind of our best edge last year, has been solid, but still looking to break out. But they're finding a little bit more talent. Had a sack last week, um, of, uh, more success on the edges uh, as, as well. So there is a little bit of a concern, I think, there with, with the offensive line versus defensive line beyond just the, the big guys. Yeah. Uh, in the middle, um, I, I am curious, does anyone in the TCU greater fan base call John Paul Richardson the Pope or should no. we start that now? Yeah, I, I think I think we can. I think we can start with that, um, except okay. that if, if if that were the case, he would need to deliver a miracle on Saturday. And if he delivers a miracle <laughs> on Saturday, with he's got a nickname. Downs, 
then he could be the Pope. Um, as we kind of wind down here to towards the end here of my free Zoom account um, with three minutes to go, this is currently a nine and a half point spread, which is just humiliating for TCU at home. Sure. Um, but it doesn't also doesn't feel unfair. Um, how do you kind of see this way going? I won't make you put a, a prediction on record if you don't want to, but I think it's pretty safe to go ahead and do so. Um, but but give me like your 60 second. If Texas wins, this has happened. If TCU somehow pulls off a massive upset, this is what went wrong. Right. So I think uh, Texas has seen it the past two weeks with Murphy that the the script has been great. Sark has figured out how to get him ready to find out what the defense is doing and test it and let him play to his strengths. Um, running in passing both, they've come out really, I mean, they were 330 yards, 323 yards to 30 against Kansas State with a minute left in the first half. It was a dominant opening, you know, they did red zone issues and didn't score. I think if Texas wins, it's because they're able to extend that. They're able to extend the success they have when TCU inevitably makes their adjustments, right? Can Texas counter and can they execute when they counter? Can can Murphy basically get it done? I think if they don't win this one, turnovers, right? Murphy has been a turnover machine. It gives TCU the ball all, I mean, all of Kansas state's touchdowns were less than 40 yards. They they basically, um, sorry, they may have had one, Uh, but they basically gave them the ball and they scored, right? It was, I think they had two that were within one or two plays of turnover immediately scored, right? It's, it's backbreaking to that good defense when that's what happens. So if they turn the ball over and give TCU that chance, they have some special teams breakdown. They had a block punt last week that led to their first touchdown Um, or, and I don't want to sound like this guy. If there is a, um, if TCU plays to the big 12 officiating tendencies and just, you know, holds a lot and tackles receivers, like we saw against OU and Oklahoma state uh, game and, and against Texas a bit, which I would coach right now to do. I don't think Texas is going to get the benefit of the doubt, and that's probably fine, but probably some combination of those two, but really the turnovers is, is I think, yeah. what gives TCU a chance. I think it's going to have to be turnovers. Malik Murphy is going to have to completely, totally fall apart. TCU's probably going to need to score on defense or special teams to have a shot. I mean, that's the only way that, that a game with a 10 points, almost 10-point spread gets turned around. Uh, in the last minute, Kyle, where can people find you and your work? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Longhorn uh, Republic podcast at Longhorn Pod. You can follow my co-host, G.H. Goodrich. He's not here, but I'll still plug him. Um, yeah, give right. us a follow. We like, we like the TCU folks, Melissa. We like Parker. We we have fun. Uh, Most go of our us. fans don't like Parker, but that's fine. We won't, we won't hold that against him. So That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, and you can find me as always the the coach Melissa and my co-host Jamie Plunkett at Frog Preacher. Uh, Kyle, really appreciate your time. Uh, I would say looking forward to a good one this Saturday, but I just hope that we get something interesting because that's what we're going for. We will be friends outside of the three and a half hours. I, I wish you all the luck, and then uh, we'll be we'll be friends right after. That's all that matters. Uh, <laughs> Talk to you later, buddy. All right, thanks. All right, thank you, Melissa. Big shout out to Kyle Carpenter. Again, he's over at the Longhorn Republic podcast for sitting down with Melissa and, and taking the time to preview this game. I know the game weeks are very busy, and so we appreciate him taking the time to do that for us this week. Again, shout out to the sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel uh, for sponsoring the show. Love you guys very much. Let's jump in, though. Whoop, my pen. Let's jump in to... Three games that I am watching this week because obviously TCU and Texas, well, it is obviously the most important game of the weekend. Not the only game that's happening. Some other big games going on. Michigan travels to Penn State. We'll see if the 
Nittany Lions can knock off the Wolverines. Probably not likely because Michigan looks like it is just an absolute force of nature this season in spite of the scandal that's going on around the program right now. Uh, but that's not, I mean, I'll probably pay attention to that game. But three games that I really want to look at this week. Uh, the first one, 11 a.m. on ABC, happening in Clemson, South Carolina. The Clemson Tigers are hosting Georgia Tech. These are teams with identical overall records. Both are 5-4. and four. And if you had told me that at the beginning of the year, I thought I would have thought that, that was hilarious. Um, but here's the thing. Georgia Tech's 4-2 and two in the ACC. They've won two games in a row. They beat North Carolina and Virginia. They housed Virginia. Clemson seems to be picking up some speed as well, but they're only 2-4 and four in the ACC. They've got to start getting some conference wins here. Um, and I am very intrigued by this football game. Uh, I want to see if Haynes King and Georgia Tech can go to Clemson and make a little bit of noise. So that's a game that I'm going to be paying attention to. Clemson's a two-touchdown favorite, 14-point favorite in this game. I think it's going to be closer than that. I really, really do. I'm looking for Tex- uh, looking for Georgia Tech to to make a little bit of noise there. Maybe not win, but you know, keep it kind of close. Keep it kind of close. Hey, remember last week or two weeks ago when I said that Arizona was good at football? And what have they done in the last couple of weeks other than beat Washington State, beat Oregon State, and now beat UCLA? And now they travel to Colorado, a team that is sliding hard. They just made a play caller change last week where they went with Pat Shermer over Sean Lewis, which can't feel good if you're Sean Lewis. Um, And Arizona's sitting there at number 21 in the college football playoff rankings. And they've got uh, you know a four-game winning streak uh, that they're trying to roll on right now. And so I, I am very excited about this Arizona team. I think they've found something at quarterback. And uh, I, I just want to see, you know, in the midst of some adversity for Dion in Colorado, how do they maybe try to right the ship? And you've got an Arizona team that is quietly, you know, they're already bowl eligible. They're like 6-2. and two. Uh, What can they do from here? to continue their upward trajectory in the Pac-12 in the final season of the Pac-12 before they head over to the Big 12, right? This is another future Big 12 program that we're talking about that TCU's going to have to compete with in the conference. Um, They're putting together a nice little season in the Pac-12 that is pretty stacked up with good football teams right now. Not very many excellent football teams. I would say that Oregon and, and Washington are the two probably elite programs, but some other really good football teams in that league as well. So very excited to see if Arizona can continue their winning streak as they travel to Colorado this weekend. And oh, where did it go? I'm scrolling. I am scrolling. I am scrolling. I am scrolling. Where did it go? There it is. Six o'clock. Fox, West Virginia travels to Oklahoma. The Mountaineers, bowl eligible, saving Neil Brown's job. I'm fairly certain. Uh, Now, I am extremely certain. They have pulled him completely off the hot seat at this point. Six and three, four and two in conference play. They travel to Norman to face Oklahoma, who is, you know, uh, backsliding a little bit as well. A couple of losses, lost to Kansas last week. Um, Intri- in- intriguing, intriguing matchup here. If West Virginia wins this game, they get to seven and three, five and two in the Big Twelve. Does that get them into the top twenty-five? Are they? Are we talking about top twenty-five West Virginia at that point? Are we going to have to talk to our kids about ranked West Virginia 
if they if they pull off a win over Oklahoma this week, they're thirteen point dogs. Um, but that defense front is pretty good, and we saw Oklahoma struggle with Kansas's defense last week. So uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to say the least. So those are the three games that I am paying attention to this week. But hey, let's go ahead and do what we've come here to do and jump in to a little bit of a mailbag. Ask for questions on the site, as I do every week. Again, if you want to ask a question in the mailbag, all you have to do is sign up at hornfrogblitz.com. And when you see me post the mailbag thread on Wednesday morning, jump in there, leave a comment or a question. We will talk about that on the midweek episode of the podcast. So, I posted this week a partial list of things that you can ask and comment on. I think we got a couple, including is a hot dog a sandwich, which the answer is no, it is a taco. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. Um, But first, as we run the mailbag here, Manticos, WTF is going on with this football team. WTF did Georgia do to us? Did they perma-break this staff, or is the season the result of coming out flat against Neon? Neon Dion, what are we doing with staff changes in the offseason? What are we doing about retaining developmental players since apparently we are a rebuild, not reload school? Lastly, what did I not ask about that I should have asked about, and what is the answer to that? This team has us all in a WTF loop. So I talked about it a little bit on the site last week uh, in one or two threads um, and in my Monday morning quarterback. This has always been a recruiting cycle dependent school if you go back and you look at throughout gary patterson's history this has always been a recruiting cycle dependent university football program which means you're not going to be able to just snap your fingers replace a player who went off to the nfl and not miss a beat right where this isn't georgia this isn't bama this isn't ohio state or michigan they have the ability at those schools to bring in five-star talent in droves and replace talent right away. TCU has never been that. TCU has done an excellent job of recruiting under underrated talent and then finding gems and developing them into incredible talent, right? The, the list is far and wide of student-athletes that have come through TCU's football program who were three-star athletes, who by the end of their career were NFL-bound players. Um, but that means that you have to be very intentional about recruiting every single year, about um, scouting well, about being committed to development, and there's an understanding that comes with that that there are going to be ups and downs in that four-year cycle for your football program. And last year, Sonny Dykes got here, at a time where the top-end talent on the roster was at the peak of that four-year cycle. But because of some of the recruiting failures for the 2020 and 2021 classes, the development part of that four-year cycle wasn't where it needed to be. And so we've seen this huge step back this year because we've lost now all of that talent that was the top-end veteran talent, and the development wasn't where it needed to be in the process for TCU to continue moving in uh, in the right direction on the field. So 
Um, I don't know that it's necessarily that Georgia broke TCU or that they came out flat in week one and that that started a spiral, but I really think that the development is behind schedule because you lost so much from those 20 and 21 classes that uh, transferred out when, when Patterson left that uh, never panned out, you know, all of these different reasons, right? Evals, you missed on your evals, whatever it was. Gary Patterson had this saying that the, the recruits that you swing and miss on aren't the ones that hurt you. It's the ones that you bring in that never develop or never contribute that really, really hurt a program. And I think we've seen a little bit of that um, from the 20 and 21 classes. And, that, and that's hurting things right now, right? Because those are, those are the juniors in the program that are supposed to be these big contributors. And, and we just haven't seen that to the extent that uh, we should have at this point. So as far as retaining development players, um, I think they're going to do a good job of that. I, there's a question later on about uh, who's redshirting, who's staying, all that kind of stuff. So I'll talk about that there. But this is we got to remember, right? Like this is a developmental recruiting cycle dependent football program. Um, that is the reality of this current situation. Sonny Dykes is fully aware of that. The rest of the staff is fully aware of that. That's why when you look at how they're approaching recruiting these last couple of years, they're still paying very close attention to high school and they're getting a lot of guys they feel like they can develop over two or three years to be uh, good contributors on a Division One football team, right? They are not recruiting a ton of guys out of high school who are going to be day one contributors, but they are developing for they're recruiting for development at the high school level. They are also doing, I think, a pretty good job of supplementing in the transfer portal with veteran players who are ready to go. Does that always hit at a hundred percent hit rate? No, of course not, because nothing in college football hits at a one hundred percent hit rate. But they have done an incredible job of bringing in talent that has played very well at a high level. Look at look at Josh Newton, right? Exhibit A, Josh Newton graduate from Louisiana Monroe has been a, an incredible contributor on this team for two years. You've got Johnny Hodges. You've got Mark Perry. You've got John, John Paul Richardson in this year's cycle. You've got Willis Patrick from Jackson state. Who's contributed on the offensive line this year. Um, you've got a lot of guys who were transfers in who are contributing in a positive manner to this team, right? Da- uh, Dalen Wright, uh, Warren Thompson, you know, um, Jack Besh, when he was healthy, was contributing. Uh, Jared Wiley was a good contributor, uh, has been a good contributor for, for the two years that he's been here. Um, and so you've got, you know, Shad Banks is another, right? Like all of these kids that have come in from the portal and been able to contribute. The list is long. Um, but it's not, of course, it's not a 100% hit rate because that's just not a thing that exists. Bama misses on kids. Georgia misses on kids. So TCU is going to miss on some kids too. Um, but we just have to understand that when the veteran talent is there and developed, that's when TCU has to strike. And we saw that last year and we'll probably see that, you know, in 2024, 25. Um, but it's all about how the staff can bring in talent get them developed and get them ready to play power five football in the big 12. What are we doing with staff changes in the off season was another question that Mantico's asked. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right now, this team's got three more regular season games that they've got to focus on, um, and they've got to figure out a way to get a couple extra practices and get bowl eligible. Um, Because I I think that that would um, 
go a long way to kind of supplementing some morale for for TCU fans. Um, what did you not ask, and what have you? Uh, what what is the answer to what you have not asked? Uh, well, let's get through the rest of the mailbag, and we'll see what what there is to for us. Um, Ultimate Frog says, "Call your shot, Hoover or Morris or Haas or a portal QB starts next year for TCU." It's a very good question. I think that they will go out and get a quarterback in the transfer portal. Um, I think that ultimately, right now. Josh Hoover will probably be the starting quarterback in 2024. I think he's shown enough at this point to earn that opportunity. Granted, you've got to go through spring ball again. You've got to go through fall camp again. Who knows what the quarterback room looks like at that point. It's going to be a competition. Um, But I think Hoover's shown us quite a bit in these three weeks, these four weeks that he's been the starting quarterback. Um, He's talking like a leader. He's acting like a leader. Uh, Yes, he's made mistakes on the football field. Hasn't got a lot of help from his offensive line at times. Um, but he's, uh, his maturity has really impressed me, and his, his gameplay has impressed me as well. Again, that's just right now. That could change in a week. That could change in a month. That, that could change by next fall for sure. J11Frog, why didn't the team buy into Kaz's program this year? We aren't near the shape and strength as we were last year. Missed tackles, O-line, D-line dominated. Drop passes, cramping in the Colorado game while Colorado did not. This is Kaz's department. I realize there are other issues with scheme and coaching, but it all starts here. Um, this is a good question, and Frog Frog asks a similar question, or he bumped a question from earlier, this idea about physical and emotional strength and conditioning and, and all of this other stuff. Um, I don't uh, have intimate knowledge of what some of the challenges might have been or what uh, specifically is going on with specific individuals or, you know, did the message change? How was the message not received? I don't have any intimate knowledge of that. So I just want to leave that out there as a caveat right away. Um, But I think when we're starting to evaluate stuff like this, especially from kind of an outside perspective, it's important to remember a couple of different things. Um, I think it's important to remember first that the system's not going to change overnight, right? And so if there was a system and a structure that was established last year, they're not going to overhaul that and change that for no reason in an off season, especially when they had the success they had last year. So I don't know that necessarily anything changed with Kaz Kazadi's strength and conditioning program, with the stuff that he does to help players get mentally prepared, emotionally prepared, not only for football, but for life. Um, I think he does an incredible job of taking a holistic approach to growing young men. And um, I also think, because I have seen this part firsthand, that he is incredibly hard on his players and that he has really high expectations for them. And that's a good thing, right? Um, This is a hard sport. Life is a hard life. And uh, it is important to have people in your life who push you, who challenge you, who see the potential in you and then really try to draw it out of you. And that's what Kaz Kazadi does for this football team and for these football players. It's also important to remember that not every kid responds to coaching the same way. And I think he also does a very good job of understanding that. And when you have guys who are younger, who are new to the program, who are still developing I think there's a learning opportunity for 
the coaching staff. I think there's a learning opportunity for the players that are involved to figure out the best way to get the most out of each other. And some, some years, <clears throat> that's just more challenging than it is in other years. An example that's not related to football. My wife has been a kindergarten teacher. Uh, this is year 19 of being a teacher in elementary school. So the bulk of that has been spent teaching kindergarten. And there are years where her systems, her classroom methods for teaching and structure and organization, they simply just, they don't take. They just don't take, right? And it's, for whatever reason, it's a, it's a group of kids that has different struggles or different challenges or um, parents have different priorities or whatever it might be. There are just years where it's harder to be a teacher than it is in other, in other, in other years. And I think that there are seasons where it's just harder to be a coach than it is in other seasons. And it feels to me like this is one of those years where whether it's cause or sunny or the coordinators or uh, position coaches or whatever, it's just a hard year to be a coach at TCU. Um, that doesn't mean that next year is going to be better or worse. I don't think there's really any correlation between those two things, but I also don't think it's an indictment on any particular person necessarily to say this was just a hard year, right? It's not an indictment on um, a teacher when their classroom is, is struggling from one year. Uh, but the, you know, the next year their class is awesome, right? Because it's a different group of kids. It's a different setting. It's, uh, you know, different expectations, maybe, um, it, it varies from year to year. And it, and that's the same thing for football, the same thing for, for football coaching staffs as well. So I, you know, when it comes to cause and his program, there is no doubt in my mind that he is capable of getting the most out of people. Um, and I think that there are some years where it's just harder than others for whatever reason. And that maybe not, maybe isn't the response that you guys want to those questions because I think they're really good questions. But, um, you know, you can talk about a player's effort or the emotion that we expect to see or how how we want them to behave in, in a win or in a loss. Um, but the reality is, is that kids process uh, adversity differently from individual to individual. Same with coaches, same with fans. Um, and uh, that's not always going to, it's not always going to manifest the way that we expect it to when we think of how maybe we would respond in that situation. Why aren't they responding like I would respond? Well, because they're not you. They're a different person. Um, and that is my mini soapbox on that question. B twice 927 asks, what are your thoughts on Jay Parker's post about this being a bigger rebuild than we realized. The misses on both fronts of the last few years were astonishing. I did read his post. It was a great post for those that aren't subscribed. I would say subscribe to hornfrogblitz.com and go read what Jay Parker wrote. He's a smart person. Uh, I appreciate his insight on the message boards because I think he nailed it. And I mentioned this earlier. We have to remember that TCU is a recruiting cycle dependent school and that when you miss in the recruiting department that is going to impact your team on the field, not just for the following year, but for the years to come. When you have a, when you are working on a four year cycle like TCU is, you have to hit 
you have to develop. And when you lose as much in the trenches as TCU has from their last two recruiting classes in 20 and 21, guys that are supposed to be contributing on this roster right now, but they're like, I don't know, Patrick Jenkins at, at Tulane or Tyler Guyton at Oklahoma or some of these other guys that have gone on other places, that's going to impact what you are capable of doing on the football field. It's going to impact your depth. It's going to impact how good you are. It just is. And the veteran group of players last year masked so much of that. that, And they aren't here to mask it this year. And we're seeing what happens when the mask is taken off. Wrist Explosion asks, did a distillery contact you? No, and I, I'm so sad about it. Distillery people, please call me. Let's make a TCU bourbon, please. I'm begging. Um, and then he also asks, are we still more than one season away from offense and offensive line and or DL that can control and dominate. I mean, I'm very intrigued by the young talent they have on the defensive line. Again, it's development, development, development. Let's see what they can do. Offensive line, I think is probably a year behind the defensive line at this point. A couple reasons for that. You're developing more players. They're going to lose a couple guys off of this line this year uh, that, you know, has struggled at times. Um, and, and so you've got to talk about, all right, are we going to go into the portal and get some guys Are we going to depend on the younger guys that are here to develop and grow up? Probably a combination of those two things if I'm the TCU coaching staff. Um, But I think you've got more talent readily available on the defensive line. So I think we're going to see that take a step forward before maybe we see what the offensive line does. Bama Frogs asks, what are reasonable expectations for 2024? I think, and I've just talked about how TCU is a recruiting cycle-dependent school on a four-year cycle. I still think that bowl eligibility should always be the baseline expectation for TCU football. Should always be the baseline expectation. When you talk about where TCU is in this cycle, this four-year recruiting development cycle, it feels like this is year one. Okay, So year two, probably not going to be where this team was in 2022, but hopefully a step ahead of where they are this year. So you're talking about, can this team get seven or eight wins, right? Can they show us that they're more consistent in the trenches? Can they show us that they're more efficient offensively, right? What can they show us next year that is a marked improvement over this year? And so when you start to think about the development cycle like that, you say, okay, what did we learn about our deficiencies on the field this year in the trenches. Okay, can we take a step forward there? What did we learn about some of the inconsistencies at quarterback? How can we take a step forward there? Same with like the secondary. How can we take a step forward there? Um, and then from a scheme and play caller's perspective, what worked this year and what didn't, and how can we take a step forward? So there, there are a couple different areas where I think reasonable expectations are, if this year is baseline, how do we see them improve from this year to next year? Um, so I would say bowl eligibility is, is like the low baseline, reasonable expectation. Can you get to eight? All right. If you can get to eight, can you flip a couple of these one score games that haven't gone your way this year? Maybe get to nine, maybe get to 10, right? Those are high end expectations. Like I said, baseline expectation, get to six, get bowl eligible. If we start to see some growth and improvement, maybe that gets you to seven or eight. If we get this thing rolling quicker than expected, maybe you get more than that. Bama Frogs also asks, post-national championship appearance slash realignment, how should TCU fans define success? I don't know that we're ever going to get a consensus on what success looks like for TCU. Um, But for me, I think a successful year can be considered, a year can be considered successful if you get to eight. 
Anytime you get to eight, I think you can call that a successful year. Depending on where you are in that recruiting development cycle, that four-year cycle, I think you could probably say, hey, they were kind of in year one or two and they jumped up and got seven. That's pretty good, right? That's that's a marker of some of the talent they brought in, all this other kind of stuff. Um, so I think you know it, it, it depends on context, um, but I think anytime a team gets to eight, that should be considered a successful year. Um, other people are going to hear that and be like, no, heck no. They got to be competing for conference titles every single year. They got to get to 10 every year, all this other stuff. And that's fine. That's your, that's your expectation for the team. I have nothing to, to argue against you with. That's your opinion. This one's mine. And we're allowed to, we're allowed to disagree on that. Country frog 1863 says, I believe not certain that Max would be making more at TCU this year from NIL than what he's making in the NFL this year. Do you think he saw this type of season coming? Um, I don't know that. I don't know that NIL would have necessarily kept Max here. I think that there comes a time where it's time for the next thing, right? And he said all last year. He said for the entire time that he was at TCU, he's like, I committed to this school for four years. And and at the end of his fourth year, uh, he finished as a Heisman finalist. He got his team to the college football playoff, beat Michigan, went to the national championship. And I think that's a really good note to go out on. I don't know that his stock would have been any higher this year had he stayed. And sometimes you're just ready for the next thing. So... <clears throat> I don't know that he saw, like, oh my gosh, they're going to take a huge step back this next year. I, I got to get out of here while I can. I don't know that that necessarily played into any of his thinking. I think that it was just time. Right? It was just time. Annoying group of 20. Why do people keep asking why Max isn't here this year as if NIL was going to change it? Uh, I don't know, because people have questions. And I don't necessarily disagree with their questions, but I'm, I'm with what he's in, what annoying is intimating here in that I don't think NIL would have changed it. Can Hoover arrive against the Texas team? Hoover can arrive against the Texas team if the offensive line blocks better for him. That's, that's, that's my, my challenge to the offensive line there. In an alternate universe, can Chandler come off the bench to beat Texas and be a hero? Sure, anything can happen. Shout out Kevin Garnett. Uh, I actually don't think Sonny is wrong about our best players not playing like it. I would venture that Hodge, Hodges, Bud, Wiley, Griffin all would say they have not had a year of their, at their caliber. Fully agree. Jared Wiley said as much this week in, in midweek press conference. How do we finish and what is best for a clean start next year? Um, I, you know, I, th- I think the reasonable expectation is, is to go one and two in these last three games. You're playing two of the best defenses you've seen all year in Texas and Oklahoma coming up. Um, and just, you know, the evidence that we have through the first nine games of the year would suggest that uh, TCU is probably not fully prepared to take on Texas or OU at this point. But, hey, crazier things have happened. Um, what is best for a clean start next year? I think whenever the final whistle blows of TCU's last game of the year, whatever it is, whether it's after OU or after a bowl game, I think that this coaching staff, and this is going to sound crazy, I think they need to take a step away as far as like just go on a vacation. Get the hell out of town. Turn off your cell phones. Go to a beach or mountains or whatever and just shut your brain off from football for a couple of days at least. I, th- I, I think 
this is going to sound crazy, but baseball's experienced the same thing recently. When you play as late into the season as TCU football did this year, you you essentially forfeit any opportunity to rest and recover before the next season comes, essentially. They were recruiting kids and hosting kids on recruiting visits the week that they were getting ready for the national championship because they still had to be recruiting, right? Um, they had played, they'd been spending so much time getting ready for the Fiesta Bowl and then the national championship, trying to recruit. Early signing period was during all of that, that they were still trying to double dip as best they could. And then you're talking about being six weeks away from spring ball, right? So you're hitting the portal. You're trying to, you're trying to get kids in here for the spring semester while you're still playing in a national championship. It's hard. And it's the price of success, right? And so you're, you're sacrificing at that point then an opportunity to just reset and relax for two minutes, take a deep breath before the next thing comes. And yes, they had a little bit of that this summer. A little bit of that. But essentially, they had run for, what, 10 months straight? They were just going, going, going. And uh, by the time they got to summer, I'm sure they were exhausted. And then you come back and you have to, you have to do it all again, right? And so I, I think that rest is underrated. I think that taking a mental break is underrated. And uh, I, w- I would love to see the coaching staff have an opportunity to just fully reset mentally um, and just take a break because that is such a taxing profession and human beings are not designed to go 100 miles an hour 24-7. Um, I would love for this coaching staff to just be able to, to take a break. Um, I think it would do everybody a lot of good. Um, what do you see Sonny doing differently in the portal? We took some risks on guys coming off injuries and they never seem to shake it. Were they multi-year bets anyways? Some of these guys are multi-year bets for sure. Um, but I think TCU has found a successful recipe for going and getting G5 guys and bringing them up to the power five level and having success. Again, Josh Newton is exhibit A. Johnny Hodges, uh, is another really good example of a success story. Um, you know, Willis Patrick, I think, has had a pretty good year at guard for making a huge jump from Jackson State to TCU. Um, and so I think that that's kind of the, 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 the recipe there. I think that should be the plan moving forward is to continue looking for those guys who maybe didn't get a P5 opportunity out of high school uh, who are ready for one now and, and go jump and go get those guys. Get those guys who are really ready to elevate, ready to take their game to the next level. Um Rather than, uh, you know, go for go for guys who who are banged up. But again, I also trust the the evals that this staff does. This the staff is incredibly good at evaluating players and evaluating talent. So really, truly, wherever they bring a guy in from, I'm intrigued. Um, but I think we see them. I think we see them hit the G five level pretty hard this offseason from a portal perspective. Um, how do we get interior O line help in 2024? That's portal. That's portal. You're going to have to find some guys. Um, you're going to have to find some guys. <clears throat> Raw Frog, what staff changes do you think Sonny should make? Ah, this, I, I'm, mm. 
I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, Raw. Um, I'm hesitant to make any changes. I am uh, at this point. I would be hesitant to make any changes at this point because you've got to you've got to give coaches an opportunity to develop talent. I, that's my firm belief. I think that I think that in the 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 world that we live in now where everything is like immediate gratification i want it right now um football programs do themselves a disservice when they ignore sometimes how long it takes to develop good talent um and like we talked about already ad nauseum on this podcast tcu is a four-year recruiting cycle dependent school and so if you cut that opportunity short you're essentially just starting over. Even if it's at an assistant position, uh, you know, I think it, it sets you back more than it moves you forward. If you're not going to give a coaching staff, the full opportunity to develop a team to show that they can do it right now. If, if there are signs that they're not able to do it, which I haven't seen from this coaching staff yet, um, then maybe you talk about making a change, but I, I, I don't think, I don't think TCU's there yet. I just don't. Um, which is not going to be a popular opinion. I can already call that. GoFrog74, how did we end up with such good class and hoops? Really encouraging stuff. We have talked about coordinators on the hot seat for football. Are there any position coaches who could get the boot? I'm sure there are coordinators that could or position coaches that could. Um, but like I just said, I don't know that they're there yet. As far as hoops, man, number 11 class in the country, all signed on the dotted line. Five-star kid coming in for the 2025 class this weekend. This is a byproduct of TCU making the tournament two years in a row, of putting Desmond Bain in the league and him getting a $200 million contract, of watching Mike get into the league, of watching Damian Ball get into the league, of knowing that Kenrich Williams is entering year seven in the league. This is also Jamie Dixon being intentional about who he's recruiting and how he's recruiting. He sits down and the coaching staff sits down with every kid that comes here for an official visit and they watch film together they watch the player's film, and then they watch comps of that player that have come through TCU's program to say, this is how we would use you in this system. This is our plan for developing you. This is how we're going to get you where you want to go in your career. This is how TCU is going to support you academically. And uh, don't get me wrong, a lot of schools do that. I think that TCU does that part of the recruiting pitch incredibly, incredibly well. And so when players come away from their visit at TCU, they have as clear a picture as they could possibly have about how TCU is going to take care of them as a person, develop them as a player and get them where they want to go in their career. Um, that pitch is meticulous and incredibly well done. And it's why they're getting some of these kids on campus for visits. And it's why they just locked in the class that they locked in. Um, and it's all a result of the success that they're having on the court. And now that they can point at players in the NBA, hello, Desmond Bain and say, this is where we can get you. Desmond Bain was a zero-star, two-offer kid out of high school who was like a homeschool kid. And look at him now, $200 million contract in the NBA, right? If we can do that with him, and if he put in the effort that he put in, right? It takes, it takes effort on the player's part. If you put in that level of effort here, we have the plan to get you where you want to go. And that pitch is really, really powerful for kids. And it's also really powerful for parents. Um, and so that is how TCU has ended up with such a good class in hoops this year. And it's why I think the 2025 class could be even better. Because they've really got this thing rolling, 
right now. Got to continue to produce on the court because kids want to play for a winner. But I think that that's going to come as well because of the talent that they're bringing in, both in the high school class and in the portal. Because don't forget, Jace Posey plus three of the kids in this 2024 class, four of the top 10 highest rated kids in the history of TCU basketball recruiting. That's crazy. And it's only going to get better. TRF51, do you think we have too many wide receivers when everyone is healthy? Seems like we have a lot of capable bodies with little production to show for it. I think it's challenging for wide receivers to get into a rhythm when they're constantly being rotated out. This is a this is a criticism I had of TCU back in like the 16-17 era, the Kenny Hill era, when it felt like they were also rotating receivers at a really high rate. Um, it's hard for quarterbacks and receivers to get into a rhythm when you're constantly seeing new faces out, out there. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily too many receivers because with the injuries we've seen this year, it's nice to have the depth that TCU has. But I think that there needed to be a more established hierarchy earlier on in the year rather than just the kind of let it play out has it and and we'll see who steps up kind of thing um which has worked out in some areas and has not worked out in others to this point pot liquor previous tcu offensive line experience shows that it's the junior year before a player can start and play reasonably well i agree should we roll the dice and go heavy nil on only two offensive linemen that should start for two years that player or players if available will cost plenty believe that's where we need to go with the money i i think yeah i think they got to go get at least one or two bodies out of the portal that are guys that can come in and contribute right away um they did only he goes on to say we recruited one offensive tackle in 22 and two and 23 how does this regime knowing our offensive line is no good plan on going forward with the recruitment of a total of three offensive tackles in the past two years so far in 24 we have recruited four seems like that's a little late to be waking up from a long winter's nap well, I think uh, when you're talking about tackles, right, they came in and inherited Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. Um, they also have Michael Nichols. And uh, so they, I think they looked at the current roster and said, we've got a couple guys for the next few years. But when those guys move out, okay, we got to be ready. And then from there, that's the big start of the development cycle, right? So you've got... Plus those three kids in those recruiting classes, two or three tackles on the roster currently who you're anticipating by 2024 will have developed into those starting tackles. When they're gone, these three guys will have developed. And so now you're trying to replenish. You're losing five tackles in the next two seasons. That's why the 2024 class has four tackles in it, right? So you're, you're constantly working through this four-year cycle, four-year cycle, four-year cycle. And I think in 2022 and 23. They also saw, hey, next year we're losing half the secondary, right? So we got to get some safeties in here now, some corners in here now, so that by 2024, those dudes are ready to rock. Same thing with defensive linemen, which we've seen them pay a lot of attention to. Same thing with wide receiver, which we've seen them pay a lot of attention to. Um, I think, like I said, with the offensive line, I think that development cycle is maybe a year skewed from the rest of the team, which you got to find some more alignment there. That's a different part of the conversation. Um, but I think that's why we kind of see them approach recruiting the offensive line the way we have the first couple of years the staff has been here. Uh, Moss Schiefer <clears throat> asks, if football is life, what happens if we lose to Texas? If football is life, what happens if we lose to Texas? Pain and sadness. Um, and then Moss Schiefer also asks, uh, by the definition of a hot dog being a taco, is uh, Subway is a taco shop? Yes. Mm-hmm. You heard me. I did not stutter. Well, I did a little bit, but 
Yes, Subway is a taco shop. Army Frog fan, after last Thursday, does everyone everything once again run through Lubbock or no? Oh, I guess we'll give it to him for a year. He also asks, can we get Ted Lasso on the staff next year now that he's left AFC Richmond? Ted Lasso as the Minister of Culture at TCU would be awesome. Uh, I think he would vibe really well with Sonny. Um, and I think he'd be a nice little counterbalance to Kaz Kasadi, who uh, has his style. Ted Lasso has his style. I think it would be a very funny bit. Pastor Frog, who's a better preacher, me or Joel Osteen? You. That's it. That's the whole thing. You. Not a big fan of Joel Osteen over on this side of, on this side of things. Not a big fan. Let's see. Uh, El Nino Jimenez asks, who do you see being the captains for next season that can help keep this team focused? I see Dom being a captain next season for the D-line, but I'm not sure who the rest will be. They're losing a lot of leadership. They're losing a lot of leadership. I think one of the big things to keep an eye on next year uh, is the starting quarterback a captain? I think that's a big question. Will the starting quarterback be named a captain next year? Wrist explosion. We need your take on the new TCU, uh, TCU Baylor rivalry game name. I will never be calling it the Blue Bonnet Battle. You can just promise. I can promise you that. Dumb name. Dumb name. Not the Blue Bonnet Battle. Pass. Revivalry at the very least. Luda Cliff. What one word would you use to describe our football team or the way we've played this season? I choose the word timid. We appear to play in a manner that suggests we hope we don't lose rather than taking what's rightfully ours. One word that I would describe to, to, oh gosh, I would just say inefficient. I, I think that that's been pretty clear at this point. This offense has been inefficient. The defense at times has been really inefficient. Um, I don't think that they have maximized their abilities to this point in the season. Uh, and hopefully they put it together against Texas because they're need, they're going to need to play their best game of the year if they want to have a chance to beat Texas. Frog Frog, thank you for that reminder. Last question, A.S. Myers. Who do we feel confident is being redshirted? I think Jeremy reported on the site the other day that Cordell Russell is being redshirted. Uh, I think if you look at the list of freshmen who have not played four or more games this year, anybody who's under that number, I think it's a safe bet that they're being redshirted. I don't have that list in front of me right now, but I think that that's a pretty safe bet. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode of Frogs Insider. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you are listening on a podcast platform of choice, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure that you have left us a rating and a review. That goes a long way to helping put us in the ears of other Frog fans, which we would love, love, love to be in the ears of other Frog fans. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, make sure that you hit the like button on the video. Subscribe to the channel uh, so that you get notifications every time we post content on that page. We're posting a lot of press conferences on that page, not just for football, hoops, women's hoops, baseball. All this other video content's going up on the site all the time as well over on the YouTube channel. So make sure you're up, up to date over there as well. Sign sign up for hornfrogblitz.com. You're going to get more inside information on football, hoops, and baseball than anywhere else anywhere else in the country. No one is covering TCU like HornFrogBlitz.com is right now. So make sure you join the community over there. And perk of the, perk of the subscription is that you can drop in uh, questions for this mailbag every week as well. From Melissa Trebosser, I'm Jamie Plunkett. We'll reconvene after the TCU-Texas game, see how things went. We'll talk to you then. Go Frogs.